Hi, I'm Sam Hamm. I'm the screenwriter for Batman, the 1989 version with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. I worked also on Batman Returns. Um, I am not the one who had the Joker kill Batman's parents, nor did I have Alfred let Vicky into the Batcave. Uh, two of the questions that I get asked most often, which you would already know the answers to, if you watch superhero stuff, you should know. Um, but I did write the Batman 89 comic series, uh, which has just been released in hardcover uh, with incredible art by uh, Joe Quinones and um, Leonardo Ito. And uh, if you want to see the uh, adventures of the Michael Keaton Batman uh, following on Batman 89 and Batman Returns, uh, this is basically a comic book adaptation of a movie that was never made. Uh, can't beat that with a baseball bat. Welcome once again to Superhero Stuff You Should Know. I am, again, Ben Juan, the man who knows too much about Batman 89 today, though not as much maybe as the person next to me, and as usual is my co-host. It's Andrew, everybody, and thank you for coming on. Uh, I guess you did the introduction, huh, <laughs> Ben? <laughs> I was yes. about to do it. I was about to jump the gun. You do it. <laughs> well, why not? Go for it. Let's go for it. But for those who didn't see the very beginning of this, one of our former guests, Michael Uslan, famously spent years trying to find the right script to take Batman seriously and get it off the ground. And we went over the many iterations of scripts and treatments done by different writers. But it was one man who had pitched himself around Warner Brothers who ended up cracking the code that James Bond screenwriters and comic book writers could not crack, which is writing the script for what would become the Batman 89 film. He's the reason why many of us became Batman fans and the reason why we have this podcast. I feel like this episode has been many years in the making. We are finally here. Welcome to the show, Sam Ham. Boy, now I feel like I owe a lot of apologies to a lot of people. Wow. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> They're all watching now. <laughs> so no pressure. <laughs> but uh, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Yes, oh, thank, thank you. This thank you awesome. so much for having me. I've been an, uh, an avid follower of your <laughs> podcast as the comics were coming out because you know I, you guys you guys are catching all this stuff that I would never have noticed uh, without your scholarship. So <laughs> oh, oh. that's off to you. <laughs> Even the stuff you were doing, especially the stuff I was doing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good to know. So uh, we do like to sort of jump off of previous uh, interviews and stuff because you know we have you know a limited time to talk to our guests here, so we want to kind of jump into stuff that we know you might not have been asked or rarely get asked or stuff that we've just really wanted to know. So let's jump into uh, for Batman 89. We've covered that there are a lot of different comic book influences for this script. Uh, some of the past ones you've cited have been the 1950s origin for the Joker with the man behind the red hood, uh, the Joker's five way revenge, Dark Knight Returns, the killing joke. You've even cited that there was some influence of Two-Face on your Joker. I guess I can see how Jack Napier's vanity is similar to Harvey Kent's at the time. In yeah, ex comic. exactly right. I mean, that's that that was that was the idea that you know since we were taking um, a character who was going to be disfigured and his gimmick was going to be uh, essentially that he's disfiguring everybody around him, that the way to mm -hmm. play it uh, would be to make him you know, very sort of arrogant and vain mm -hmm. um, in the way that uh, I, I think I think in in the early versions, the early iterations of Two Face, he was actually called like Harvey Apollo. Yeah. Dick. 
because mm-hmm. he was he was such a uh, he, he was such a matinee idol. Yeah. Um, and that yeah, I, I, I did try to I did try to incorporate uh, some of that uh, Two Face uh, persona into uh, our version of the Joker. Yeah, and I can I can definitely see that, especially when you you cited that. Uh, and then the other thing that we found is that interviews you cited that the, if there's any influence from the sort of Steve Englehart Marshall Rogers run it would be sort of the mob, the mobsters in terms of the Grissom stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that does lead into our question because we have covered here how um, this comic writer, Steve Englehart, has claimed that uh, boss Carl Grissom is based off of Rupert Thorne. However, since you created Carl Grissom, I think you can have a better claim on whether or not that's true than uh, he does. So Grissom is described as having, quote, impressive girth around the waist, everybody. Uh, in the draft uh, that you wrote in 86, which is similar to Rupert Thor, closer to that than to Jack Palance. Can you confirm or deny, was this ever a Rupert Thorne influence or were you just coming up with an original mobster character? Truthfully, um, I had not read the Englehart Rogers run until DC sent it to me. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Tim and I were already sort of cooking up uh, the story you know, and where it would go. We wanted to set it in a realistic, uh, not a realistic, but we wanted to sort of create the world that would produce a Batman, you know, because there are, you know, there, there are no costume superheroes mm-hmm. in our world. And so, you know, part of what we had to do going in is, is figure out what sort of environment you would build that would support uh, a character like this. And a lot of it was based on the look. A lot of it was based on, you know, sort of familiar tropes from movies that we liked. I mean, you know, there's, um, there, <laughs> we pulled a lot from, uh, you know, a dark passage. I mean, the Joker's, uh, the Joker's visit to the underworld doctor and so forth and so on. Um, but, well, uh, you know, I, I, the, the, the Englehart, yeah, the Englehart Rogers uh, series was, was, was great, but I can't say it was a heavy influence on the, uh, the movie because you know I didn't read it until we were already underway. So mm-hmm. yeah, and I've also gotten that vibe too because of the fact that a lot of the things that Engelhart Engelhart has claimed that a lot of the movies take from his stuff, and it's usually like it's been looser stuff where he feels like the Vicky Vale romance was close to a Silver Saint Cloud thing. But I'm also like, well, if you're going to be the female lead of a Batman movie, you're going to find out that Bruce Wayne is Batman in the movie that's just kind of what's going to happen so like i don't think that's that was taken from silver saint cloud at all even though i know she was in previous drafts from the other writers before you on this one so uh over to andrew okay so was there also any influence of the early joker stories the joker using flesh tone makeup seems to be right out of his first appearance uh, in answer to, uh, I can give you a, a very short answer to uh, to that question. Yeah, um, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> okay, moving on. Thank you. We were, That's great. We were we were, uh, we were going to run out of time. Okay. <laughs> uh, we'll fill it up. Backward from. Uh, uh, I, I had the big uh, anthology with the great Kyle Baker cover, the greatest Joker stories ever told. Oh, and I have so that had, one. I think had, had used that as a sort of uh, sort of a one-stop Joker reference. But I had, you know, I had read a bunch of the um, Joker stories when I was a kid, uh, mm. not necessarily in their original appearances, but they would pop up in the eighty-page giants, you know, which were my most 
my most uh, prized possessions when I was a kid. You have a 25 cent comic instead of a 10 cent comic. Yeah. And it would be, uh, you know, 80 pages and they would reprint a bunch of uh, uh, stories from the past with, uh, you know, uh, legendary Batman villains. And that's where I was introduced to uh, Two-Face and to, uh, you know, the early Joker stories and, and to, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting for somebody to do a, a, a Batman movie with Gorilla Boss, you know, who I, I think is the great... Uh, He's 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 the obvious villain that they haven't gotten around to yet. Matt Reeves, come on, give this to us for the Batman yeah. too. An, an ape with ape with a human brain. I mean, how can you go wrong with that? <laughs> I really want a curveball for the next one. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be so cool. Gorilla Boss for Batman too. Make it happen, Matt Reeves. So, <laughs> Isn't yeah, this no, a Flash I mean, the, the villain? Whole, the whole deal. The whole deal with the Joker is, you know, as we're saying, you know, he was he was vain. Mm-hmm. And so the question becomes, if you have a guy who's vain and he's disfigured, how does he try to pass for normal? Mm-hmm. You know, how does he try to sort of like put himself out there? And, you know, we wanted to take him through this, um, through this phase, basically, where he's trying to fake it, you know, where he's trying to be sort of uh, his old handsome self until it becomes quite apparent that he can't get away with it anymore. And that's when his whole aesthetic shifts Mm-hmm. You know, that's when he decides that, you know, if I can't, if I can't put on slippers, I'm going to carpet the world. Oh. And um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, okay, now this is, this is what I look like. This is what everybody's going to look like. Fair. Like, I, I, I always love awesome. the image where he, he's wiping off the makeup to reveal yeah. the white rather than the reversal. Yeah. <laughs> so it, yeah. it's great. Um, I have kind of a, this is sort of a chicken and the egg question where I know that you had access to the Killing Joke script before the, the comic was out, because the comic was out like pretty much like the year right before the movie. But I know Alan Moore had it like written out way before that uh, and stuff. And it's it's interesting because a lot of fans know that Joker is created at the chemical factory at Ace Chemicals. However, the specific name of Ace Chemicals is not in that 1950s story. Chronologically, it actually kind of just first shows up in your draft in 86. Is that from Alan Moore's script or is this sort of a dictation from DC that, okay, now it's at Ace Chemicals or are you actually the creator of Ace Chemicals? Boy, you know, that's a, that is a, that's a tricky question because I remember it as being Ace Chemicals, but it's possible that comes, it possible that, that comes from the Alan Moore story. I mean, yeah. if you, if you, if you would ask me, I would have thought that, you know, I knew from boyhood. It's uh, a weird Mandela effect. You know, yeah. we, we couldn't we couldn't use Ace Chemicals uh, oh. in the movie because they found that there was some kind of, you know, there was there was a, a rights issue where there was already an Ace Chemicals somewhere that they were afraid of a lawsuit from. And so it became, what is it, Apex Chemicals? Uh, I think at one point it was Apex Chemicals in the concept art that we saw, but now it's Access Chemicals. It Acme Chemicals. In the, uh, oh. it's Access, Access as in the Access Powers. Access uh, Chemicals, that's yeah, it. In the, that's in the movie. Right. Yeah. Uh, but they might have been playing with Apex just because Apex Chemical was like the name of the chemical factory in the first Batman story in Detective yeah. Comics 27. So like that's a possibility, but I've only seen the evidence of that in uh, the concept art. I've never seen yeah. like, I don't think they got to the phase of making anything for that. Yeah, we bounced around among a, a, a number. We tried a, a number of different names, starting with A, and you know, it, 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 I guess it, it turned out that this was a, a chemical uh, company that was uh, 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 basically operated by ex-Nazis who had come back from uh, from Argentina 
and opened opened up shop in Gotham City. I don't know uh, that backstory, but yeah, that makes that, a lot of sense. That, was that really your? That was really your, powers, yeah. That was really your thinking, though. Really, is that? Or are you you're kidding with us? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm just messing with you right now. Okay. Oh, good, good, good. Sorry, I was just wanted to make that clear. <laughs> okay. If you if you start if you start to wonder at some point, is he being facetious? Chances yeah. are he's being facetious. Okay, gotcha. All right. <laughs> I was like, this this is making a lot of sense right now. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> the Nazis are evil. They would make an evil chemical plant. <laughs> It's been here since the 40s. Well, I, 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 I can make up my own backstory like on the spot. <laughs> That's great. Well, okay. Ooh, make the, put that out there. Make an exclusive. People will report on it on the blog. Say this is the official backstory. Our no, but I, 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 remember, I remember vividly reading Alan's uh, draft for The Killing Joke, which is, mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know if you guys have ever had a chance to see I've, it. I've read but it. It's like, it's like 180 pages long. It's for, you know, I guess a 40 45 page comic book what what is the, the yeah the, the it, it feels like before? it takes him two pages to describe the first panel yeah the the level of detail and it was just astonishing to me and i was i you know when denny o'neill came to me and said you know do you want to write a comic for dc i said well you know i don't really know the format or anything like that and he says well have you ever read one i say yeah i read alan moore's the killing Joke." <laughs> <laughs> and, and he goes like well let me, my, my, the principle by which I work is I try to have like a page of TypeScript equal to a page of the comic. And so I was trying to digest that. And I said, you know, I don't think Alan, uh, I, don't, I don't think Alan knew that. Uh, it was supposed nope. to be the way you do it. I, Not at all. <laughs> just, it was, it's, it's, it's one of the most, it's one of the most entertaining reads you can imagine just from his digressions you know he wants to tell you you know why he thinks batman should have stubble you know oh, yeah. <laughs> all this kind of stuff like that you know first time first time you see batman in close-up he's got to have stubble and it looks like it looks like you know two days of stubble instead of not not one day of stubble not three days of stubble it looks like he has two days of stubble and there's you know a complicated explanation for why when you know uh uh Alan first saw Batman. He was prepubescent, and et cetera, et cetera. So. Oh, really? Okay. Mm. <laughs> I'll have Not... to uh, go back to, to read that. But yeah, I remember just being, just reading it, being like, are you kidding me? But also like, this is why he's Alan Moore. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <that's why. laughs> Two days of stubble, not a wizard beard. Right, not right you are. <laughs> okay. no, no Gandalf shit here. No Gandalf shit. <laughs> <laughs> you shall pass. Okay, so um, you described in an interview with Back Issue that your conception of Batman was influenced by samurai movies and by the code of Bushido. To strike when to strike is right. To die when to die is right. You also created the character of Tsunetomo in Batman Blind Justice, named after Tsunetomo of the Hagakure. Were there any specific samurai films that you watched that influenced your take on Batman? Boy, um, yeah, a lot of them. I've, I've always been a big, I've always been a samurai enthusiast. Um, you know, one, one story I can, one story I can tell you is that when uh, uh, Tim was, Tim Burton was up in San Francisco with me and we were kind of like pacing around on the floor trying to get this, trying to get this draft knocked out. Um, I would put on uh, Yojimbo for him. You know, mm -hmm. not so much for 
the fight sequences or anything like that. But for the theme song, uh, mm. I love the theme, uh, the 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 opening credits theme for Yojimbo, which is bum 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 and you know, I was saying like, wouldn't that be cool if Batman's theme was was something like that? So I tried I tried to sell, I was trying to sell some of the non samurai aspects of <laughs> because I felt like it really sort of captured really sort of captured the feel of you know like you're you're doing something you're not supposed to do and you look over your shoulder like here's this hulking thing coming at you with wings and, and ears mm-hmm. and um didn't 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 sell them on that on that particular one but uh does Tim Burton like samurai directions. movies at all do you know um, I, I assume he did, you know, I, I would, yeah. I, we'd, we'd sit, sit, sit there and watch him and he, you know, he didn't, uh, he didn't, he didn't complain you know, or anything like that. He, he okay. wasn't saying like, come on, let's put something else on. Um, okay. and, and you know, I was, you know, the, 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 other, the other thing that I was, the other thing that I was pressing for is, is like, you, you know, we need a guy to, we need a guy to design our stunts, Jackie Chan. <laughs> <laughs> let's get Jackie Chan. And Jackie Chan I- had not really broken in america uh, oh right, right right yeah. right right yeah because yeah. it was still you know i had i had been sneaking over to um uh the uh, theaters over in chinatown in san francisco uh were showing hong kong movies and so i was getting to see i would go over there and see armor of god and i'd see you know police story 2 and all of this stuff like that and um just you know the those amazing gags and there's 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 one just really insane uh, fight sequence in Armor of God, which is Jackie Chan trying to fight off three female warriors who are coming at him in stiletto heels. And I, I, I was just you know I was I was just worshiping at the altar <laughs> of, of Jackie Chan at that moment. And so you know I thought, man, if if we could if we could get you know, if we could get an American movie with this kind of kinetic action in it, we, we got it made. I've said several times on this podcast that I feel like a, a lot of American-made movies, well, sometimes it just feels like the script says insert fight here, and it's just it's not it's just it's just a fight in a movie. There's nothing interesting about it at all. Like the the kung fu stuff with jackie chan and some of the japanese stuff it's just i don't know they're just there's more of a emphasis on movement or something they pay they pay more attention to movement or i don't know what it is their choreography is just better i think a lot of the time I saw yeah, that really no agree. absolutely I agree with you absolutely yeah. and you know i didn't i didn't know i was i had been writing you know stuff i've been writing had been in mostly comedies before i uh, got onto batman and so, you know, I didn't know how much detail you're supposed to put into a fight scene. And yeah, I was yeah. like trying to think up, you know, the gags, who swings, who misses, what do they hit, you know, all, all yeah. of that kind of stuff. And you know, people were kind of shocked that I was like putting in beats right. in fight scenes because you know, the normal thing to do was apparently just to say like they have a big fight. You know? So that maybe that's because they, uh, the, it, you're stepping on the toes of the fight choreographer basically. Probably so. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's probably, you know, to, to do that is probably the equivalent of saying what the angles should be. 
you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got you. Spread, you know? <laughs> I got you. Yeah. I can I can understand that, but I think that sometimes when it's like especially super realistic or something, it loses some of the fun. And we don't need to have like ridiculous Adam West fights in the next Batman movie, but I don't know, just something more dynamic. I'm not sure what I what I'm even trying to say anymore, but something more dynamic, something more interesting as far as the fights are. John Wick. John Wick's pretty dynamic. Yeah, that was good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, those 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 movies are just so uh and it's not just it's not just the choreography it's the grounding it's the grounding in the physical space where things right. take place that sells you on the absurd action that you're seeing because you you actually believe that the way that those the way that those scenes are constructed, the way you know where everything is, you know where everybody is, where you, you know who's popping out from behind where, and all this kind of stuff like that, and that's what enables you to believe that you can have a uh, um, a uh, single guy who is beset by you know forty two thugs who are all trying to kill him with with guns, and he can take them all out. Mm. And you know, it's it's like uh, when you when you say, okay, we're going to have a fight scene with you know one guy, and here here come you know uh, forty two armed thugs, and he's going to kill forty two armed thugs. That's like absurd. No, you can't do that. But the way that those scenes are staged in in John Wick, they're absolutely compelling because they're so perfectly choreographed and they exist so perfectly within space. And, you know, that's that, uh, you know, I can't I can't explain it to my my wife because she's seen, she, she, I try to get her to watch these movies. It just looks like a bunch of guys getting shot in the head. You're not wrong, but no, no, but it's the way they get shot in the head. It's the movement. All right. Exactly. And it's tactical. It's ballet. It's ballet with guns. There's a dance to it. Ballet with live ammo. <laughs> That is a great ass. way to describe it, yes. <laughs> uh, so going into some of the cinematic influences, you did cite uh, Dark Passage already, but uh, some of the other ones you've cited, just for the knowledge of our uh, listeners, um, this is an obscure one I have not seen yet, The Rise and Fall of Legs Diamond, with Legs Diamond being another possible inspiration on on Jack Napier. Uh, this is this is one of my one of my favorite movies from when I was a kid. I I, I don't exactly know why, but I I've probably seen I've probably seen it a dozen times. I'll have to check it out. I just it looks cool. Uh, let's see. We have uh, Touch of Evil with Orson Welles' Quinlan, sort of inspiring Lieutenant Eckhart. Uh, we've got His Girl Friday with Vicky Vale, originally kind of conceived, it seems, uh, as a sort of Rosalind Russell, Hilby Johnson type character, right down to inter being introduced with a big hat she does not have in the movie unfortunately but <laughs> that would have been a cool callback everybody um, loves a big hat <laughs> yes yeah um some one of our comments i couldn't find the comment specifically but someone uh one of our commenters asked about the possibility of taxi driver being a uh inspiration on sort of the Knox and vicky dynamic of albert brooks and civil shepherd i don't know if necessarily that was uh Part of it, you know, or I, I, I couldn't say I couldn't say that's wrong. Um, um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was a, it was it, I wouldn't say it was a direct influence because it's not something I was consciously trying to pinch. But you know, now that you say it, um, 
you know, obviously is, is, is sort of a, it's, it's uh, the same sort of relationship, you know, where you have this sort of secondary schlub character mm-hmm. played by Albert Brooks, who is uh, trying to um, uh, impress um, the beautiful girl and wondering what does she see in this nut? <laughs> right. And, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of the same, the same scenario played out again. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to have Knox is a new character too, but I wanted to have somebody who is just one of, one of the devices that I like when I'm uh, putting together a story is to have <laughs> a character who is basically not charismatic, who is not the lead character, who is not necessarily even a likable character, could even be like, you know, 40% villain character. It could be an adversary to the hero who nonetheless is saying the right stuff. You know, he's right. saying like, wait a minute, this guy's crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wait a minute, you know, what this guy's doing is completely illegal. You know, what's going on here? And the audience, of course, who's in on the joke is going to think like, well, this guy is just an obstacle. He's a, he's a schlub. He's the person that's going to get <laughs> off. But, you know, he also is the guy who happens to be right mm-hmm. in everything he says. And so I liked, I, I, I always like giving that um, uh, sort of, <laughs> giving that sort of shtick to a character who is not necessarily the one you're supposed to value, you know. That's really interesting. Kind of though, yeah. That you're, yeah. Yeah. Like the, no. the straight man to the, I don't yeah, know, like exactly. Com- in comedy, kind of, instead of the straight man to the funny man, it's a straight man to the crazy man, maybe. <laughs> yes, very good. Yes, that's okay. exactly the dynamic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. We also have Dark Passage, as you cited. Uh, I specifically watched this movie when I found out about this connection. Uh, it is also really great once I saw it, um, but I did not really know about it until um, this was pointed out to me. Um, also, the original death of Recorso seems very similar to the Godfather with the revolving door. Um, And uh, you mentioned to challenge the scholars in the back issue interview saying, challenging us to catch a lift from the classic movie, the Palm beach story in from your 1986 draft. And I think I figured out which one it is, which is a, all right, let's let's hear, let's hear your crazy theory. My crazy theory is the deleted scene from your 86 draft where Alicia hunt tries to sneak into her apartment only to find out that the rent's already been paid off by Jack. You are the man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so again, I uh, had not heard about this movie beforehand, watched it, really got a kick out of it, was completely thrown by the twist ending. Uh, but <laughs> mainly watched this. It's, just it's, one, of the, it's one of the craziest uh, twisteroos. It is insane. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Preston Sturgis did not lack for cojones. Let's put it that way. Yeah. He was yeah. a madman, too. <laughs> so that's awesome. Uh, but yes. I have to see that. Uh, over to Andrew. Okay. You had, we actually covered this maybe partly already, but you had oh, yeah, mentioned yeah. in the interview that Jeanette Kahn felt that Batman was too brutal in the original drafts and you went back and changed them. Do you happen to remember the general idea of what things you were asked to tone down? It seems like Batman's drugged hmm. ninja wheels in your draft, for example, were completely cut. Yeah, you know, I think I, I, I think some of it is just kind of his his uh, his weaponry. I know I know I did have like a thing where he had 
you know, he had like uh, knives that would come out of his glove or something like that. And she was like, no, 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 that's one. Oh, yeah. And, you know, a few, a few things like that, but, you know, I don't, I don't think there was a, the, uh, the, the tr truthfully, um, I don't remember the comment beyond, you know, her wanting, uh, you know, the weaponry to be more sort of ingenious and, um, you know, I guess in more Batman specific um, than, than some of the stuff I'd thrown in there. I mean, you, you know, if you've got the, the throwing stars and so forth and so on, you can, you can tell that uh, the screenwriter has probably seen the armor of God in the last couple of months. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Jackie Chan influence on Batman 89 exclusive <laughs> for us. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to, there's, there's a question I didn't write here that just came to me on this. Cause you're mentioning Batman's weapon, right? Um, you know, there were a couple instances in comics where Batman had a grappling gun, but it seemed like it's this movie that really solidifies the grappling gun in Batman's arsenal that then um, sort of continues on from there. What sort of led to that creation being like, okay, this is how we have to do it. Let's not do the Adam West thing where he swings the rope over. Um, specifically the, all right, this is, I'm, I'm just going to be a little involved. Okay. You're going to regret asking this question. Uh -oh. um, <laughs> the first, the first scene I wrote was the opening with the, uh, you know, with the head fake where you think, oh, this is Bruce Wayne's parents being killed, and but it turns out not to be Bruce Wayne's parents being killed. It's it's like a, uh, a another version of Bruce Wayne's parents that he steps in and and intervenes in his his Batman way. Mm -hmm. um, and the next scene that I wrote. For the movie was the uh, uh, the Joker falling out of the cathedral at the end. Oh. So you know, I had I had my uh, beginning scene and I had my end scene, and then I just had a big hole that I had to fill in. So that made, that made, it, <laughs> wow. made it much easier. That sounds me. like but the first the first scene that I put into the hole was the one where. Um, he tries, he, 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 he needs to get, he and Vicky are in a jam uh, and we need to get out of here right away. And how do we get out? We can't go that way. We can't go this way. The only way we can go is up. And I'm, you know, I'm still doing, I'm still doing stuff. You know, I mean, you can see it in Batman 89. I'm still doing stuff where Batman goes up to get out of a, to get mm -hmm. out of a jam. And so, you know, the question then became practically, how does he get up? To get out of it out of a jam how does he how does he go and well you know he's he's okay he swings on ropes and stuff like that but you've got to be up high in order to you know swing on a rope to get out of to get out of danger so how do you get high and the only way i could figure out that he would get high he would be able to get high is <laughs> all right. not that way but yes. kids, i know what you're thinking here that's <laughs> what i'm talking about smoking richard donner's weed the only way that he would be able to get himself off the ground is if he had some kind of real mechanism, you know, if he had some kind of thing that he could fire that would pull him upward. And so that's where, that's where that came from. It's just like, you know, you always see Batman swinging from a rope and mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff like that. But, you know, how does he, how does he get up there to begin with? Um, and I wanted like a, you know, quick delivery system that would, get him up to the rooftop as quickly as possible. And, you know, that was, that was where that came from. 
I don't regret asking that question at all. I think that's a very cool origin of that because of. Uh, well, wait a minute. In that case, let me give you a different answer. All right, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, we're going to get into even more deep cuts here because uh, <laughs> I have quite a few questions on the uh, 86 script in terms of a few things that I believe are Easter eggs that you might have thrown in here. So in the movie, Knox famously gets a drawing from the cartoonist Bob who was supposedly meant to be a cameo for Bob Kane. However, I noticed that in your script, the character was named Jerry. So I'm wondering, <laughs> is that a Jerry Robinson shout out? This is another short answer. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I to verify. Uh, also notable that there is a bespectacled colleague in the newsroom named Clark, which I thought was fun uh, as well. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and then the next yeah, question: why, why, why was why, why was that interesting? Well, you know, <laughs> he might be somebody. Might be somebody of importance at some point. Nice little. Easter never thought of that. <laughs> so, could be some potential for that character in the future. You know, that was a joke. <laughs> I caught it this time. <laughs> All right, uh, Andrew has the next question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> is it true that the models Joker killed were originally named Patsy Walker from Marvel Comics and Katie Keene from Archie Comics? Yeah, we heard we, we heard about that from Warner Brothers. <laughs> oh, really? We, we got through about we got through about uh, um, probably three drafts, and then Warner Brothers came back to us and said, "Wait a minute." <laughs> 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 amazing you're trying to sneak that one in there huh <laughs> yeah yeah sometimes uh, it works <laughs> right so we got the jerry robinson shout out clark these two uh do you recall any others that we might have missed in terms of like other like snuck in comic type of easter egg type things oh boy i'm sure there are some but you're gonna you, you should probably check with quinona's you know he would okay I, well, boy, uh, I, I would, I, I could, I'm, I'm sure if I were to, you know, go through the script again, you know, which I, you know, haven't actually read in a um, couple of decades, probably. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I would, I'm, I'm sure I would find other things that I uh, tossed in there, but I don't, don't have any to give you off the top of my head if I think of any as we go along. No worries, no worries. I'll let you know. If you, if you ask me some embarrassing question I don't want to answer, I'll go, wait a minute, I just realized. <laughs> <laughs> we might have that. We'll see. That's right. It could, could happen. Uh, let's see. The next one we have is about Harvey Dent. So it seems like chronologically when I go through all this type of stuff, you may have been the first one to come up with the idea that Harvey Dent is Bruce Wayne's friend. I could not find any previous comic where that was established outside of him being an ally to Batman, but not necessarily being friends with Bruce. And uh, in your draft, there's a scene between Bruce and Harvey that was not in the final movie where Bruce tries to convince Harvey to raid Ace Chemicals or stop the you know anniversary celebration. And Harvey responds, I'm just a DA. I don't have access to all your, quote, expert sources. So is that line meant to indicate that Harvey knows Bruce is Batman or am I just reading too much into it? And he's just criticizing Bruce for trying to give him a tip there. That's 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 one of those lines that you throw in there for people to go like, hey, wait a minute. Does he know something? Mm. And it, it depends. It depends on what you need down the line. 
you know, it's uh, it's one of those. It's you know, I always wanted to do. I always wanted to do more with Harvey. Yeah. And you know, it, one one of the things that surprises me uh, occasionally, you know, I've, I find myself watching Batman '89 again because I go to some you know thing where they want me to talk or whatever, and I sit mm. sit through the movie, which I find you know in some ways in some ways uh, great fun and in some ways kind of painful. <laughs> and you know, one of the things that always surprises me is that the initial party thrown at Wayne Manor where we meet uh, Bruce for the first time, mm-hmm. not Batman, but Bruce, um, is a, you know, let's raise some money for the bicentennial celebration of Gotham City. Whereas I always forget in the, that it's not a fundraiser for Harvey Dent's campaign. Which is what it was in the original in the original draft, and it always mm-hmm. it always kind of it always kind of surprises me. And so, you know, um, Bruce is working a little bit behind the scenes as a concerned citizen and a donor, you know, mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff to install, you know, people that he thinks will help in his crusade. And you know that's that's why he's that's why he's backing he's backing Harvey's campaign because he thinks Harvey is going to be a you know is is going to be the uh, strong moral force um, that we need in in, in Gotham City to um, arrest vigilantes. I don't know. It's, it's I guess <laughs> I guess that's not what he was thinking. But, yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. 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 But yeah. No. If you, years before Dark Knight did it, it was in your script. So. Yep. Uh, over to Andrew. Okay. Daniel Waters was not aware until after the release of Batman Returns that the Batman 66 show had an episode where the Penguin ran for mayor. We were wondering if you had been familiar with the Batman 66 episodes in which Cesar Romero... Dishonor the Penguin. Dishonor the Penguin. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, Ruins the paintings with other paintings. I was a religious watcher of the Batman 66 <laughs> That's good to hear. TV, TV series, and I, I, uh, inf- I, I, I kind of wish I had kept them. I had a, like a little, a little notebook in which, um, for every episode of, or every you know two part episode of Batman, I would draw the villain, and Ooh. I wrote underneath the my drawing of the, and my drawings were kind of my, my, you know, my my, I didn't want to be a screenwriter. I want to be a cartoonist. Mm-hmm. Uh... And um, I never, you know, I, I never really had a style. I just thought I could sort of do a house style, but you know, I couldn't do it. I didn't, didn't have didn't have my own style. And um, I did draw uh, every single villain after I'd watched the episodes that week, and I would put underneath the names of the two episodes. So yeah, I had a, I did a, a drawing of Burgess Meredith as the Penguin with his honor the Penguin and dishonor the Penguin. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, awesome. So, do you remember the one with? Because uh, we were wondering if you had recalled or if there was an influence of the episode where Romero's Joker ruins the paintings. Uh, yeah, sure, <laughs> absolutely. You know, that's and 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 that that again is 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 one of the things that feeds into the whole aesthetic of mm-hmm. of the Joker, where you know it's it's like okay, I'm I'm disfigured. Now we're going to see like. We're going to see like great art disfigured because the art is in the disfigurement, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's 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 again you know the whole the whole world is now going to have to adopt his aesthetic. 
mm-hmm. is, is the, the gag of the character. Yeah. I really love that sort of creepy twist <clears throat> on the whole dynamic of that when he when he does that as the, uh, you know, making everybody turn into him, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to the next part, uh, there were a lot of changes that we've covered on this show between your draft and the final film. Uh, Bruce Wayne being more of the sort of traditional smooth playboy, and there was more insight of what he was going through emotionally. Joker, as you brought up, was made to be the killer of the Waynes when he was the same age as Bruce in your script. You also did not have Alfred let Vicky Vale into the Batcave. Uh, <laughs> Vicky Vale was more of a Before central... anyone asks, why did, Vicky, why did Alfred let Vicky Vale into the Batcave? The answer is, I don't know. <laughs> you didn't write that first. <laughs> We pretty much chalk it up to like it's got. I, we're pretty sure it's like onset rewrites where like we were. Oh yeah, we have yeah, this well, abs- yeah, abs- abs- absolutely. No, yeah. it, you know, if I were, if I, if I were, were Bruce, you know, it's like okay, Alfred. I know you've been my loyal family retainer for the last, you know, for thirty-five years, whatever. But your bony ass is fired. <laughs> good, good, good luck in your good luck in your next endeavor. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, with Vicky already knowing the secret, though. Well, yeah, I know, but <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. And then Knox, of course, is a lot more complex of a character in your original version of him. I think I was shocked the first time I read it, where I'm just like, "Wait, he knows, and he also does this, and he dies." What? As I read through all of it, I was just, I was just amazed. Um, I know a lot of the rewrites weren't yours due to the writer's strike, but do you remember why some of these changes even happened in the first place? I mean, it, it seems like there was a, there was a lot of great stuff here that was not uh, in the final version. Well, you know, there was a lot of stuff. There was a lot of stuff that got cut for a lot of stuff that got cut for budgetary reasons. There's a lot of stuff that got cut because, you know, the the uh, sort of, I guess, the dynamic among the actors. It, it's 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 you know, it's 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 part of making it's part of making movies. Is you always start to see that oh, there are some things that really work. These 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 bits, you know, these things really sizzle, and those things are not so are not so exciting, and. Um, you know, there's always course adjustments that you make in the in, in the course of, of, of filming um, to emphasize the the parts that you think are going to be kind of electrifying, you know, for an audience. And a lot of this, a lot of that stuff happened because of because of that. Um, and a lot of it was just because, you know, they ran uh, way over budget. And Warner Brothers, which had initially wanted to make the movie for something like I think I think their below the line budget was initially something in the area of twenty million bucks, um, which was a lot of money at the time. It was you know a good amount of money at the time, but it wasn't you know sort of blockbuster money. They didn't know they were going to have a blockbuster, mm-hmm. and um, you know that's where Robin went. Um, that's where the uh, whole sequence of you know Batman on horseback, which leads into the introduction of Robin went. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's this big uh, uh, confrontation between uh, Batman and the the Joker, uh, where uh, Batman is <laughs> Bruce Wayne basically gets caught without his costume, which is an yeah. idea that I've always I've always wanted to use. I've always I've always wanted to be always wanted to sort of go in with the um, dealing with the practicalities of being Batman. It's like, okay, uh, does he like carry around a suitcase with a bat suit in it just in case he needs to change? Or does he actually go out to parties every once in a while? Does he go to a restaurant? You know, does he, 
does he live enough of a normal life that every now and then he's going to get caught without his costume? And we had, you know, we, I had one scene originally where he sees like the Joker uh, using mimes mm. to to do a uh, to do a, a killing, and he's out here in the middle of Gotham Square and he doesn't have a costume. There's really nothing he can do, and so he sort of he, all he can do is just sort of like flip out, like you know, I, I want to I want to take six of these guys out, but I can't because I'm Bruce Wayne. I'm not I'm not my I'm not my alter ego, right? And later on, uh, he meets the Joker at Vicky's apartment. And, you know, again, the Joker is making off with Vicky and he's stranded and he doesn't have his costume. And so he pulls on a ski mask that he finds in her drawer, goes up over the roof, commandeers a horse. And there's a whole complicated sequence where he's like charging on this horse through Gotham City and a yellow Volkswagen is going up like, you know, the oh, yeah. Gotham equivalent of West End Avenue. And uh, you find out with all this intercutting that's going on that the yellow Volkswagen is Alfred, whom he has summoned to deliver his laundry. You know, Alfred mm -hmm. pitches a you know brown paper parcel out of the window of the Volkswagen, which which Bruce snags as he's riding past on the horse. And the next thing you see is the Joker looking in the rearview mirror of his van and like, holy shit, here's Batman in full regalia coming out of a horse. You know, which is one of, one of the uh, images that I was really keen to pinch from Frank Miller from The Dark Knight Returns. Oh, yeah. That and the, you know, why do you think I wear a target on my chest? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, you know, the, the, the two things that I, I really, uh, really wanted to uh, swipe. Or I, 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 mean, I mean homage. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Did I, say, I didn't say swipe. <laughs> no, no, you said homage. <laughs> heavens no. <laughs> okay. Uh, we asked uh, this to Daniel Waters as well about Batman Returns, but we were wondering, um, you already covered some of this, but are there any, mm -hmm. is there anything else from uh, any other things in your drafts that you wish made it into the movie that we haven't covered? Oh yeah, my 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 favorite thing uh, that we haven't hit yet from the uh, eighty nine draft is uh, I, think I know it's it's Knox and the Bat Signal. Okay, I mean, that 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 to me, I just thought you know that was designed to be a moment where the audience just fucking screams, mm. you know, and yeah. like where <laughs> where he he concocts. He concocts the bat signal, yeah, as a way of letting as a way of letting Batman know that the balloons are full of poison gas, right? And um, you know that's 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 the bit I miss. And you know, I I, I really I, I have to say one of the things I really don't like is at the end of the movie where they have uh, <laughs> Harvey come out with the mayor and say like, "Well, we have a letter from Batman here." And he says he's going to help us out in the future and all of this kind of, you know, all of this kind of stuff so that he becomes sort of like, as Commissioner Gordon used to say on the TV show, a duly deputized author, a duly deputized officer of the law. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, to my mind, you know, it's, it's one of the problems that I still have with The Batman, which I think is a, a really good movie in a lot of ways, has a bunch of great scenes in it. But, you know, the idea that, you know, Batman is something other than a criminal. It seems to me like a weird kind of sop to, you know, 
parents and kids and uh, you know the, uh, the morality police in a way, I mean, I think you have to sort of accept that what Batman is doing is illegal, that he knows what he's doing is illegal, but he nonetheless thinks it's, it's worthwhile. And so he's taking the chance that if he ever gets caught, you know, he's going to be in deep, deep trouble. And, you know, to me, the first thing that I want to see in the Batman is like somebody comes into court with evidence from a crime scene oh, where a guy's yeah. been walking around in a cape and a mask and all of this kind of stuff. And they say, like, you gave you gave a guy in a cape and a mask access to this crime scene. Can we call him uh, to testify in front of the jury under oath? And they say, well, no, it's 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 Batman. We don't know who he is. And we just let him come in and solve cases. Case dismissed. Huh. And it walks. Um, because it's probably better than the Arkham Asylum breakouts. So it'd be in the world, in the real <laughs> world, as we call it. Mm -hmm. So I guess in your mind, then the bat signal would not be something that Commissioner Gordon even uses to signal him for help. The bat signal has always been kind of troublesome. Mm. You know, I think I think, you know, the, I think the bat signal, you know, the notion that it's on the roof of the Gotham police station. Uh, is a little dicey. Is a little dicey. I mean, I can see it. I can see it being set up in a place where, you know, Commissioner Gordon wanted to meet Batman surreptitiously and say, you know, hey, we got to we got to meet at the usual place. You know, right. we got to meet at Joe's bar or whatever. <clears throat> um, but I think, you know, as, as an officially sanctioned method of summoning a vigilante to do the police's work for them, I, I don't know if I if I quite buy it. And the, the other thing is, you know, if we're in we're in the real world, um, cops hate Batman for the simple reason he doesn't have to do any paperwork. You know, <laughs> That's he's true. not it's one he's not responsible to the authorities. He's not responsible to the guy uh, above him in the police hierarchy. He doesn't have to like go and explain himself to internal affairs. Mm -hmm. You know, he just shows up and drops into the middle of getting a thugs and beats the hell out of him. So. True. <laughs> I can see that Andrew. for sure. Um, all right. So yeah, in a reversal, are there things from Warren Skarin and the other writers work in the Batman 89 film that you do appreciate? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, you know, the Joker, you know, has a, has a lot more, he has more sort of, you know, trailer lines is, is, is the way I think uh, a, lot, a, okay. lot, a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of the lines that, um, uh, people think of as being like the most distinctive lines of the Joker or lines that were added, you know, Im improvised or, or written by, you know, writers after me. And like, where does he get his wonderful toys? You know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff like that. And, you know, I, th I think that's, that stuff is great. And I, it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch Nicholson because I, I realized, you know, a couple of, a couple of viewings ago that he's kind of playing, he's playing a vaudevillian you know, and he's mm -hmm. a guy who he's not playing to the audience because the audience is not hip enough for <laughs> him. You know, he's he's surrounded by, you know, goons and police and, you know, all these all these things like that. He's not playing to those guys. He's entertaining himself. Right. He yeah. is. He is trying to keep himself amused. And it's a, to me, it's it's a great take on that character. I mean, I just I just think it's such a it's such a smart. 
take on that embittered mm-hmm. guy. No, for sure. But he is his own. He's he is his number one fan. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So right. definitely. Uh, so we do his, have a lot his of stick, his stick is too smart for the house. <laughs> right. I always kind of got that impression too, where some of the things he laughs at, I'm like, why is he laugh as a kid? I'm just like, yeah. why does he say that? Why does he say this? And then now later on, I'm like, oh, that's what fits it in terms of the psychology of the character. So uh, thank you for the insights on Batman 89, but we are not done yet. We do have other questions on other things that you've worked on. However, we are going to. What? There's more. Break. Yes. <laughs> Believe it or not, just wanted to announce that I have a new podcast called Gaming Gaiden. It's about retro gaming. It's a lot about Japanese to English translation in this first season. It will be 10 episodes each season. First season will be dropping soon, much sooner than Amono Recon. The co-host for this one will be Mike Torres. If you saw the ranking, every Superman video game two-parter we did here on Superhero Stuff You Should Know, you have seen Mike before. So yes, if you like video games, if you've been interested in Japanese ever, we're going to be talking a lot about just Japan in general, Japanese cultural differences as well, and we also are going to have a lot of talk about 90s video game magazines such as Electronic Gaming Monthly, a.k.a. EGM, so stay tuned for that. So please be on the lookout for Gaming Gaiden Podcast coming soon. Hi, it's me, Jeremy Parrish, co-host of the Retronauts Podcast, the only video game history podcast that's been around so long, it's also a part of video game history. Every week, one of the motley rabble who hosts this show leads a deep dive into the past, whether it's to break down a classic franchise, learn more about a timeless game from its creator, or just wallow in nostalgia. Relive history with Retronauts here on the HyperX Podcast Network. The award-winning Go Nintendo podcast is the best place to get the latest news on the world of Nintendo. We cover the biggest stories, share impressions of the latest games, and answer your burning questions. There's also some general pop culture talk, game music trivia, a heaping helping of silliness, and did I mention our robot companion? I'm the star of the show. Catch new episodes of the Go Nintendo podcast every Saturday on the HyperX Podcast Network. What's that? Majestically cresting the horizon as it makes its way into port. Why, it's the brand new HyperX Armada monitors, mounts, and arms. Both the HyperX Armada 25 and 27 gaming monitors come bundled with a sturdy HyperX Armada mount and arm. If you need every split second of advantage when gaming, the Full HD Armada 25 and its 240Hz refresh rate are for you. If you like to soak in the graphical majesty of your gaming, you'll be eyeing the Quad HD Armada 27 with an 165Hz refresh rate. Set sale for HyperX.com or Amazon.com to start making your display armada. Hello fans, as part of the HyperX Podcast Network, we're letting you know that this year is HyperX's 20th birthday. To celebrate, they're offering some great deals on their award-winning gaming gear. If you're in the market for a new headset, a new microphone, blue light blocking eyewear, or any number of other high-quality HyperX products, head on over to HyperX20.com to check out all the birthday deals. Once again, check out the HyperX 20th birthday sale over at HyperX.com. Wow. 
why are you boys messing with that penguin? And we're back, and Sam Ham is still here, and he's going to join us. <laughs> he didn't leave us. A few other things uh, <laughs> after 89. One of the other things I definitely want to talk about is Batman Blind Justice. This is the uh, 50th anniversary issues of Detective Comics that you wrote that very significant in the mythos that not a lot of people uh, really talk about as much as other things. Some have noted that uh, it predates Nightfall, that it has a blonde man who sort of takes over the cowl for a little bit after a hulking monster dude sort of puts Batman out of commission. So that was an interesting thing. But even more than that is the fact that there are uh, insights into Bruce's training into this uh, issue. Uh, the second one, uh, introducing Ducard, Sunentomo, uh, Chu Lee, the, a lot of the, the mentors uh, in establishing that Bruce went around the world for uh, his training and stuff. So one of the questions I had was that I imagined, you know, with the task of having to write the anniversary issues for Detective Comics, I'm sure that was there was a lot of pressure and there were a lot of different stories uh, that uh, you had in mind for that. I think I had read a few interviews where uh, Denny O'Neill thought one idea was similar to Steve Englehart's treatment for the movie. And then I think you might have mentioned another instance where it was a, originally at some point about how the Waynes got their money, which I think carries yeah. over into mm-hmm. the Batman 2 script. Um, so I guess, could you talk about some of the possible alternatives that we could have gotten uh, that were, I guess, variations before you landed on Blind Justice? Yeah, well, you know, it was it was like uh, it was the result uh, of an interview um, that I was doing with. Uh, not sure who it was. I I I, I don't want to say because I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to get the I'm probably going to get the wrong person. Um, but it was one of the interviews that I was doing at the time that the movie was about to come out, and uh, the interviewer uh, told me that they had spoken to Denny O'Neill and. Denny O'Neill said, well, if this guy ever wanted to write a comic book, uh, we would love to have him do that. And I thought like, you know, I mean, like, I could write a comic book for DC. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, I, I was like, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a decrepit, aged, overgrown kid. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a kid sort of with an aluminum walker kind of deal. Um, but I, I was like, just so like stunned and flattered, you know, at the thought you could do a, a, a DC comic, uh, you know, and I said, boy, I would love to do a DC comic. And so, you know, the next thing I know, DC is, is getting a hold of me. We're talking about doing a comic and it never occurred to me not to do it. And I was a little, I was out of the, I, I was, you know, out of the continuity because mm-hmm. I hadn't been reading comic books seriously for at this point probably 15 years um i I read comics uh religiously all through the 60s into the early 70s then you know you go off and do start doing other stuff and um so i wasn't terribly familiar with all the places where the batman continuity had gone, but I wanted to write a story that would be in the continuity of the comics. You know, I wanted to write a comic book, Batman, who in, in my mind was, was something entirely different from the movie Batman. Mm-hmm. The, movie, the movie Batman was going to be um, an attempt to introduce the character to a new generation of moviegoers. You know, and not necessarily comics fans, but, you know, general 
moviegoers who sort of knew about the character, but you know, thought of the character maybe in terms of the TV show, thought of the character mainly in terms of the comic book that they had read when they were a kid, when they were kids, or you know, maybe they just heard of Batman. They'd heard of Batman and Robin or something like that, mm-hmm. and didn't know much more about it than that. And so, in in terms of the movie, it was all about thinking how do you introduce this character and his world and you know stuff for for a general audience. But you know, at the same time. I got this offer from DC and I wanted to do a different version of Batman where you don't have to establish, you know, all this stuff about who he is, how he works, you know, why he is the way he is. And you could just get, you know, uh, you, you could tell a story that was a comic book story as opposed to a, you know, as, as, as opposed to, you know, something that a, a general audience would be expected to um, go for and so I started talking with Denny saying like, well, you know, do you want to do something like kind of definitive about where Batman comes from? What is, have we ever, have we ever figured out, uh, have we, have, have you ever done anything about, okay, uh, here's this kid, he's the heir to a, you know, multi-million dollar fortune. Is there a custody battle? You know, are there umpty nine relatives and, you know, friends of the family and all these people descending out of the woodwork to try and take this kid under their wing so that they can have access to the Wayne family fortune at some point down the line. Are there conservators? Are there, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, we talked about that for a while and he thought that was kind of interesting. And I said, well, you know, why are the Waynes, why are the Waynes so rich? You know, what did they do? How did they, how did they get to be so rich? Is that, you know, something that, that might be an interesting story? And is that, that might be an interesting story. And so then I said, like, well, you know, how about, you know, his training? You know, I mean, you usually see like there's one panel where you go, he's the, the bat comes through the window and he goes like, that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, I shall, I shall become a creature of the night. Criminals are cowardly, superstitious lie. Um, and um, that's that seemed to be the thing that he responded to the most. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I started I started thinking about how you could construct a story that would throw in that information, but not to do it as a you know not to do it as a now we return to you know uh, the origins of Bruce Wayne and so forth and so on. Uh, I, I wanted to have like a contemporary story, something that's happening to him right now in the context of the ongoing uh, comic that would give you an excuse to go back and explain, you know, what he'd been doing mm-hmm. uh, through all this, through, through his formative years, you know, when he's basically learning learning the skills that will allow him to become the Batman. And so that's that's where that came from. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm sure you guys have read the you've read the backstory interview with uh, back issue interview. I'm sorry that I did with Michael Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, re- the reason we have a, you know, a brain switching story. Oh, yes. In line <laughs> up, it's, it's Gorilla Boss. Yes. It's Gorilla Boss. <laughs> <laughs> All about Gorilla Boss. 
It's your uh, realistic update to Gorilla Boss. That's right. That's right. I said, all right, I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not doing a, a movie for you know an audience of, of grown-ups and normal people. Now, I, now I get to do Gorilla Boss. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Okay. Uh, do you feel like the Keaton version of the character went through the same mentors as Bruce did in Blind Justice? Never occurred to me because I thought you know the 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 Keaton's the Keaton stuff preceded Blind mm -hmm. Justice, and to me, okay. you know, <laughs> it's like I hate to get into discussions of what's canonical and what's not canonical, right. you know, all of that kind of stuff. But to me, they're they're like two different they're two different universes. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, I've always sort of interpreted the armory room in the movie to be like places he collected from his training in terms of just like the reason why he was in Japan in the first place was for martial arts. But also he collected some sweet samurai armor that Alexander Knox and Vicky Vale are going to admire later on. But that's kind yeah, of you know, it's, 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 it's stuff like that where you get to uh, you get you're, you're, you're dropping hints, you know, yeah. you're saying like, yeah, um, yeah, it's like, you know, where would a guy come up with this, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, he wasn't over there just collecting. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> That's how I always read it as well. Yeah. Um, so have you followed other comic versions of your mentor characters for Batman like Tsunetomo or Ducard? Um, not closely, no. I I I will be I will be honest with you. You know, I don't I don't I'm glad that you know other people are doing things with those characters. Yeah, but you know, I, I'm I'm not I'm not familiar enough. I, you know, I don't know how many variations there are. You know, I remember I I, uh, <laughs> I think I shot an email to Denny O'Neill when uh, Batman Begins came out. I said like, "Holy shit, Denny! It turns out that, that <laughs> your supervillain's secret identity is my supervillain." Yes. You know? You're like, who knew? Yeah. So, <laughs> but there is another. Know, twist I thought I would share with you about Ducard actually that just came to me which is um, uh, there's a Batman and the Shadow crossover comic by Steve Orlando and Scott Snyder and in that version Ducard is also the secret identity of the Shadow who then trains Bruce Wayne which get out of here which then explains how the, the, <laughs> there's so many similarities between Bruce Wayne and you know Ken Allard, Lamont Cranston you know so that I, I, I love that even though like it's not what I personally think when I read Blind Justice, I'm just like, oh, this is the shadow because this guy's. I know the shadow is somewhat amoral, but he's not that amoral. So, but I still like the idea of the shadow training Bruce Wayne. You guys, uh, you guys, I'm sure know of a writer named Philip Jose Farmer. It sounds familiar. Track down Philip Jose Farmer because he is a guy who used to. Um, basically sort of work off of the premise that all of the great pulp heroes were interrelated and involved with one another. And so, you know, he would, he would tell you how Tarzan was actually a distant cousin of Doc Savage, who was a distant cousin of the shadow who was, et cetera, et cetera. And he worked out, he yeah. worked out all these, you know, complicated relationships that, that were consistent with internal evidence in the stories, even though stories are written by different people and had nothing to do with each other. <laughs> right. but, you know, it, he, he did this incredibly ingenious sort of job of, um, <clears throat> this is, this is a, a, a verb I've, I've learned recently, retconning. 
Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. All, all of the, all of the, uh, you know, great pulp heroes. So we just talked about this on our Patreon a couple like weeks ago or something where it would be there, there Warner brothers seems to hate money because they could, they could have this like pulp universe with all the historical characters. And I don't know, maybe even if they had the rights, if they had the rights, I, you know, that'd be, it'd be cool. It'd be really cool if they were to kind of do that, have an old, old school universe there. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I can't bring you onto a show called superhero stuff. You should know about at least covering a little bit of Watchmen. So uh, you have, <laughs> you had the unenviable task of being the first screenwriter to adapt this into a film, streamlining a lot of the original comic. I thought you did an admirable job considering like trying to condense that into a two hour film is a hell of a task in itself. Uh, my main question, and I realize I'm kind of jumping ahead because we have not covered this in our show yet, but what leads to the change in the ending for Watchmen? Is that a studio note? Is that your personal take on how the story should end on that like i was curious about that because that definitely stood out to me i understand like you do have a prologue in there establishing the superheroes which i completely understand and then at the end i'm like oh this is really different and i was curious where that came from uh, um because i went to uh, i was sitting with joel silver mm -hmm. who was the original producer of the project and uh I said, now, you know, the, the end of the comic comes from Outer Limits episode. Uh, I said, this is, this is, I, I saw it when I was a kid and there, I had an issue of famous monsters of film with the monster from that, from that episode. Mm -hmm. And I said, y y the ending is, uh, I think, I think the writer was Meyer Dolinsky, I want to say of, of an episode called the architects of fear. And it's, it's a deal where they create, uh, an invading spaceman that they're going to drop at the UN. And uh, it, when the people of Earth uh, see that there is this invasion force headed their way, you know, they will unite and they will, you know, mm -hmm. drop all of their, uh, they'll drop their sabers and they will uh, um, unite against this common foe. And I said, you know, and the problem is uh, that Alan references that episode at the end of uh watchman he has he has people uh sitting and watching that particular episode in issue 12 of watchman and so there's you know there's no defense <laughs> right or, you know and you know he's and you know on, bless his heart you know he's an honorable guy and somebody said well, wait a minute this is an awful lot like an outer limits episode and he remembered having seen the Outer Limits episode. Oh. You know, if you guys, if you guys have been around at the time, you could have said, Alan, have you seen an Outer Limits episode called The Architects of Fear? And he would have to go back and say, now that you mention it, yes. Holy <laughs> cow. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, once he realized where the inspiration for this had probably come from, he, he, he gives him a shout out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the problem is, you know, if you do a, if you make a, what would have cost probably a hundred and twenty, hundred and forty million dollar movie even back then, mm -hmm. and you release it and it has a borrowed ending and you can prove that the people who made the movie know where it's borrowed from, then you're going to have major legal issues. 
And so, um, you know, I, I, I said, let's, you know, let's, let's try something different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, I think they, I, th- I think they came up with a smart solution in the final movie where it's basically a matter of framing. Yeah. Dr. Manhattan. I mean, I thought that was, that was, that was, that was a clever idea. I would have been happy with that if I'd come up with it, you know, but it was, you know, it, it, it basically is just trying to get out from under the problem of, mm-hmm. okay, here's, here's where we have announced that the ending comes from. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting because I've always known that connection, but I didn't realize that would have led to reasons why they would want to change it in all these iterations. Cause I noticed, you know, obviously the change in this script as well as the change in the movie. Uh, but I didn't realize that a lot of that was tied into the fact that the outer limits connection was known. It's my favorite, my favorite show from when I was a child. So mm. I thought that that was, I'm sorry, go ahead. I thought that that was like something Snyder chose to do for his version of the movie. I did not know about all the outer limits connections. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, were you part of, uh, were you ever a part of discussions on potential casting for the Watchmen characters? Oh yeah. But that was, you know, this was way, 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 way back in the distant mm-hmm. past. Um, I was one of the great regrets of my life. Is David Bowie invited me to dinner once because uh, I wanted to play Rorschach, and it was Rorschach. Wow. Yeah, it was a. It was a. a I couldn't go. Uh, <laughs> I, I had some, some. I had something else I couldn't couldn't get out of, and I've spent the rest of my life going like, "Shit, I could have gone and had dinner with David Bowie." It's like, you know, that would have been interesting casting because the moment you said it, I was thinking Adrian, but then I'm like, oh, that would have done it definitely would have flipped things over if he was Rorschach. Yeah. Uh, I'd also read something about Arnold as Dr. Manhattan, but I don't know how serious they were about that. And I don't know if I can see that. You know, that, that's, that's like sort of, that's sort of like the obvious, you know? Yeah. Okay. Naked buff guy. Yeah. Right. Give it to Arnold. Naked, <laughs> naked muscular godlike figure. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know right. if I can picture that accent with these lines. about being indifferent to humanity. Come on, would you buy him? Would you buy him as governor of California? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So yeah. Over on to um, to Batman Two. So or Batman Returns, but it was originally Batman Two in the draft that you wrote. Uh, we haven't found a lot of interviews about your time writing for this script, which obviously influenced the final film as well as the Batman 89 comic. So could you share a bit about that process and your perspective on terms of like, why, why did this version not make it to the final film? Oh, it's just, I think it's, it's, you know, it's just a, it's just a deal where, you know, Tim was not available to, you know, he was, he was off doing other stuff mm-hmm. and he was, you know, not so much there to um, help, sort of crafted to his strengths mm-hmm. um, the way that he was uh, the first time around. And, you know, he kind of, he, he was, he was not that keen to do another Batman movie um, is, is my understanding anyway. And, you know, I don't mm-hmm. want to misrepresent, you know, him or, you know, say anything. Daniel Waters kind of reaffirmed that out, of, out of school. Yeah. But, you know, he did not, he did not really want to do another uh, Batman movie. And, you know, they were throwing money at him and he didn't want the money. And they say, well, you know, finally, you know, what can we do to, to, to make you do this? They said, what? And, and their final approach was, you know, what if it's just, what if it's not a, a Batman movie, but what if it's a Tim Burton movie that happens to have Batman? Mm-hmm. 
And that sort of, you know, that set off uh, the, the necessary firecracker uh, in his brain. And he, you know, he went with a, he went in a different direction. You know, he, 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 he was always sort of more, he was more uh, interested in the villains than in Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, he was always sort of more interested in the, uh, the setting and the, um, the look um, of the film probably than the psychology of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think, I, and, you know, there, there were, I, I got to tell you, you know, there were a couple of bits that I could just like, you know, his honor, the penguin, the penguin running for mayor. Uh, he had pitched to me a couple of times, like what if the Joker ran for mayor? Right. That was and, you know, my, you know, my, my whole thing was, okay, well, but yeah, but where do you go with it? <laughs> right. you know I mean, it's like, okay, he runs for mayor and like the people come out and decide to elect him or they decide not to elect him and he gets his revenge because they didn't elect him or, you know, it's like, what the, and, you know, sadly, we're, <laughs> we're, we're kind of seeing that play out here in 2020. And, right. But that's another story. We also, we, <laughs> we also see Joker, the Harley Quinn animated series actually ended up doing that in this past season. Yeah. That is true. All right. Uh, were the characters of the Red Berets inspired by the real-life guardian angels more than the sons of the Batman in The Dark Knight Returns? Uh, short answer, yes. All right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I love these short answers. Moving on. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm, if, I, I, think, I feel like if I give you a short answer, no, I have to explain it. But <laughs> When it's a yes, yeah. If I have a short answer, yes, it's kind of like congratulations. Right. You picked there's guardian, there's guardian angels in the Dark Knight too, right? Don't they mention that? They mentioned the I think Dark. So, like, yeah, they might have. They might have mentioned. Yeah, that. yeah. brief mention. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know we talked previously about cinematic influences on Batman '89. We're getting deep cuts here, but we're talking about some cinematic influences on your take on on penguin specifically i i obviously there's an influence of the birds with the birds used being used to attack which i feel like it's crazy that they have not done that on the big screen yet in terms of penguin stuff i mean that seems like just an obvious thing to do but uh they haven't done it you know i i I, if it had been up to me you know the studio wanted the penguin and they wanted catwoman yeah and you know catwoman catwoman fine you know i'm i'm great with that but the penguin is kind of a problematic character you know, what is mm-hmm. the penguin mm-hmm. um and you know, the penguin does not have a to my to my mind a, a strong uh, sort of uh he, he doesn't have an interesting enough sort of story he doesn't have an interesting enough sort of psychology to make him a proper um batman villain and you know i didn't want to go there i was you know desperately trying to find something that makes <laughs> this guy mm-hmm. you know interesting as a uh, as 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 an, an adversary, and you know, I didn't I didn't get there, you know, as far as I was concerned. Um, and, I, and I I must I must say I I re- I thought one of the best things in the Batman uh, uh, is the take on the Penguin. Mm-hmm, I mean, I, sure. I thought that was that was a, a really kind of cool version of. The character and it's you know part of it is because he gets to be in a subsidiary 
position. He gets to be he gets to be a secondary villain, but you know mm-hmm. he was a right. really sort of charismatic. Colin Colin Farrell was obviously having a good time. Oh yeah, yeah, and he, was he loved very, it. He's one of the best parts. Very charismatic uh, presence. Um, but yeah, no, I, I felt like I never really never really cracked the penguin. I kind of felt like he was a bit of a in in your version, sort of Sydney Green Street Maltese Falcon. Yeah. You've also got a yeah, little bit of the bird yeah, statue stuff. That's, yeah, that's 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 not wrong because you know you've again got the sort of Maltese Falcon mm-hmm. uh, statuettes, you know, that are the become the MacGuffin of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do think that you know when I read this for the first time, I think I was blown away by just the connections to Batman '89, the use of the sets. I'm like, oh, the Armory Room's back, Flugelheim Museum's back, Vicky's back, like all this, all this stuff. But even more than that, the fact that it is. Uh, tying into what you said earlier it is a bruce story it is very much a bruce wayne story we can definitely see that you know as much as burden has been sometimes criticized by people for being more interested uh sort of in the villains in his movies we can see in your scripts that you were very interested in bruce his psychology where he was uh, you know where the money comes from in the wayne legacy him having to deal with that and more than that if they went with your version keaton's batman would have gotten to display detective skills which you know yeah, people well, yeah. have you know, claim they're just like, well, they didn't really do it until the Batman. I'm like, eh, we could have gotten it. We could have gotten it um, with the sequel. But uh, to sort of continue the uh, the praise train on uh, your script here, uh, we thought you might get a kick out of some of the fan art that some of our fans don't don't made. don't feel don't feel that you need to slow down on the, the praise train. We're going to continue. We're going to speed forward on it. Actually, All aboard. Uh, some of our fans, some of it by our request, but some of our fans have done some fan art made from your unmade ideas either from the script or other ones that you've talked about so uh three of them are from one of our patrons and fans logan wood this first one yeah, is yeah, just please please tell me please tell me that your fans have not been doing fan art based on ideas that i have that i haven't told anybody yet oh no no, no. <laughs> that's, that could that could get us all in deep trouble <laughs> I don't know that much, <laughs> Sam. <laughs> if, you, if you guys, if you guys have that technology, <laughs> well, we wouldn't be running this podcast at that point, <laughs> All right? So, uh, Logan did this, which is uh, you've said in, in an interview with, um, I think it was Den of Geek about how when yeah. you were asked yeah. about, hey, could you bring Joker back, and then you turned it into the origin of Two Face. Yeah, with, exactly. Uh, yeah, so. you, you wheel you wheel Joker into the courtroom in a full body <laughs> cast, which turns out to conceal a bomb in it. Yeah, and which because he know, he great. knows he knows that Batman will be there to watch his humiliation, and uh, if he blows up the whole courtroom, he's going to get Batman. That's the idea. Also, I know Logan has it with Nicholson's head in there because I requested it. But if it is in the body cast, then Nicholson can just, you know, do some ADR and just call it a day. He doesn't have to be on set. That's <laughs> so right. I thought that was funny, too. Uh, so we got that. And then from your script, we got Catwoman fighting Batman in the armory room uh, like you have in the finale. Uh, and then we also have Penguin taking Vicky hostage in the Batcave, which also happens in the finale there. So. Mm-hmm. Those three come from Logan. And then one of our fans, the imaginative hobbyist, did a poster for Batman 2 with kind of my fan cast of your versions of the characters. We got Edward Furlong as the kid, Dick Grayson, (laughs) uh, Tia Carrera as the Eurasian, Selena Kyle and yours. And uh, my pick was the great Tim Curry as uh, your Sydney Green Street type penguin for this. So, Oh, wow. Fantastic. 
So this is your uh, <laughs> this is kind of a what if scenario from this fan of ours. So uh, I thought you'd get a kick out of seeing these. Oh, those are, uh, all incredible so far. I mean, those are just those are fabulous. So uh, thank you. Uh, and uh, thank you guys for sending those over to us over the, in the past. Yes, thank so, you. Uh, let's go into the latest thing, which is the Batman 89 comic. Uh, so one of the things that I was curious about is, you know, they're, they, I know a lot of the origin of this is Joe Quinone is making a pitch and then sort of connecting with you and bringing you in as the writer for this. I imagined that there were a lot of, uh, different ideas batted around. I know you definitely wanted to do Two-Face because you didn't get to do that. Were there sort of any other story ideas that didn't make it into this that you can talk about? Um, you know, the, the pretty much, I mean, we were, we were all on the same page uh, from the start in terms of what we wanted to do. We wanted to make it a story about, uh, about Harvey Dent. Mm -hmm. um, we wanted to introduce, uh, uh, the Robin who would have been a version of uh, the Marlon Wayans character that was initially planned for uh, Batman Returns. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so, you know, there were some plot stuff that we hashed out that we probably shifted around here and there as we were, as we were going through it. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the one thing that I was planning to do uh, was to introduce Harley Quinn and, um, you know, my, my big problem was I discovered I only had six issues to work with. And um, I thought I was going to be old Charles Dickens about it. And I was going <laughs> to write it in a serial fashion. And as, you know, as it was, as it was coming out, I would adjust the future issues to uh, uh, incorporate the stuff that I hadn't gotten into the previous issues. And I, I wound up running out of issues. And so there was, you know, a bunch of stuff that we had to cut, you know, we had to cut uh, uh, Harley Quinn mm -hmm. and uh, we, you know, dropped in some stuff in, in the, in the early parts where it seemed like, you know, we were going to bring her back, but we didn't get the chance to. So. Yeah. Cause I definitely saw her in the, uh, you know, she's in the back cave in the yeah, TV right, exactly. and stuff. Yeah. And uh, I just thought, Oh, He's dropping in Easter eggs for that, but it's really interesting, especially because in this world, Joker's gone. So it's sort of just like, how do you bring in Harley into this type of world? We had we had a we had a good way. Okay. Well, hopefully, <laughs> we will get to see that. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, can you say if there were any, if there was any input from the studio on the comic, considering Keaton was coming back for the Flash? Oh no, we didn't hear we didn't hear a word. You know, there's okay. no no uh, connection between the the studio and the comics at all. Wow. I hate to disappoint you know fandom, which has been trying to figure out what's canonical, what's not canonical, what happens yeah. on this earth, what happens on that earth, so forth and so on. But like, you know, nobody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, the, the only way I can explain it is that DC Comics and Warner Brothers, the film unit, mm -hmm. uh, exist in on different Earths. Ah, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's Earth DC and there's Earth WB. Mm -hmm. Right, and, right, right. Those are the true universes. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I've seen some people be like, "Are they going to reference Drake Winston in the Flash movie?" I'm like, I, I guys, I don't think that's going to happen. I just don't think that. As you yeah. said, it's too different. Yeah, I, you know, my, you know, my, my feeling is, please, by all means, go right ahead and send me yeah. a check afterward. <laughs> <laughs> Most importantly, yes. <laughs> I need to renovate my kitchen. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. I need new tires. You know. So. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, so we've kind of extensively covered how a lot of the, you know, the ideas from your Batman 2 script do get to sort of come to life in the Batman 89 comic. Uh, one of my favorite aspects of this comic is Harvey himself, is Two-Face, how he's fleshed out, how, like, you know, when he's scarred, he's not immediately like, I do crime now. Like, he's there's still a slow descent uh, for that. And I was curious, like, obviously we know about your idea of the origin story when asked to bring Jack back for joker but um were some of these ideas ones from way back in like 89 or 90 when you had planted harvey dent and thought about putting him into a sequel to become two-face um yeah a little bit i mean you know the the whole the whole deal with you know the 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 idea about you know uh the joker blowing himself up mm -hmm. In the, in the in the courtroom, it was just that that's an idea I had that got scotched very quickly, and you know so it's it, I still wanted to do two phase. You know, it's not it's not the only sort of entry um, I, I had into two phase. You know, I, I had a, a lot of ideas about what the character was about. I mean, what you know, one thing is it it, it seemed to me that you know two phase is supposed to be one side good, one side evil. And you never see, uh, you hardly ever see Two-Face doing something good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like, it's always the coin, the coin gets flipped, the evil side comes up. And, you know, if, if, if the good side comes up, he does something neutral, like he doesn't shoot you. Mm -hmm. um, but if the bad side comes up, he does, he does shoot you. And I want to say, like, you know, what if, what if what if he flips the coin and he has to go out and do something, you know, kind of virtuous? You know, what what if what if there is what if there is a an actively virtuous half of Two Face that is at war with the uh, the the obviously villainous half? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you know, those were those were a lot of the things that I was 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 thinking about. I was doing it and you know I was I was you know I was I was all I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world that they cast Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent and I was just thinking like hot shit I get to do like Billy D. Williams as Two-Face mm -hmm. a movie from now or two movies from now or, or whatever it is because you know I, I loved Billy D. Williams when I was a kid you know I saw him in Brian's song when I was in high school mm -hmm. and I saw Hit, you know, the Richard hit with Richard Pryor and and the movies he made with Diana Ross, Mahogany, and Lady Sings the Blues, also with Richard Pryor, and mm -hmm. Bingo Long, and you know, all, all of his all of his stuff. I mean, I was I just thought he was I just thought he was a cool cool actor, and I loved his swagger, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so the chance to do to the chance to write that part you know, after all these years was, was just irresistible yeah. to me. This really would have been, in my opinion, the best cinematic Two-Face if you had gotten to do this on, on the screen and stuff. Cause I just reading the depth of this version of the character is just, it just, it's, there's so much more to this version of Two-Face than there has been 
in the film versions, uh, in my opinion. So like it's it, I'm glad that we now have this to sort of go off of after, you know, Billy D. Williams, like five minutes into the movie, plus the Lego Batman movie. But well, uh, yes, you know. well, th th thank you. I mean, I, I you know, I, I just I just hope it, you know, I hope it does does him justice. That's all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I had a couple other questions on this comic. Uh, we do have the tragic death of Pat Hingle's Commissioner Gordon in this version of the comic. And I was kind of wondering what leads to the decision. I imagine in some way it's just like there has to be an escalation of stakes in the story in terms yeah. of what Two-Face does. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's one of the things it's one of the things we were talking about early on. It's sort of like, you know, what is going to be a, a big sort of distinctive, bold move. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we, we, we thought about, you know, what, 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 one of the things that you do is it's like, you know, it's when you make a movie of Star Trek, how do you differentiate it from Star Trek, a TV series where well, you kill Spock? Yeah. And everybody goes like, you can't kill Spock. But they did kill Spock. And of course, you know, it didn't take them long to realize that, you know, Spock was kind of the franchise and they brought him back. <laughs> um, but you know we're 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 doing the same thing with Commissioner Gordon. Only we're not going to bring it back. You're not going to go to another planet where another Gordon is being born and stuff. Yeah, we're we're going to go to uh, you know Earth Earth Gordon. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> they're all Gordons. He's going to come all, out looking like Gordons. Gary Oldman. It's like everywhere you look, it's a Gordon. Yeah. <laughs> Re Re reproduce asexually. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> That's how you bring back Oldman, J.K. Simmons, Jeffrey Wright, <laughs> yes, all, exactly. all the Gordons. <laughs> Dude, the Gordon verse. It sounds incredible, actually. Enter <laughs> the Gordon verse. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Poor Gordon. Uh, and then the last one I have is on, um, I just want a clarification on this because it seems like there's been some confusion by fans online about the note that goes to Barbara mentioning about being her oracle. Uh, it feels to me like this is from Catwoman. Am I wrong in that? It is. It is from Catwoman. Okay. Well, there we have it, everybody. From Sam but, it might, but it might it might put some ideas in somebody else's head. You never know. Uh, yeah, that too. That too. Mm. So, uh, I think. Well, of course, that's the big important part of uh, this beat here emotionally. So, like, I. Uh, but I, I think some people have been wondering if this comes from uh, was a I guess a, a posthumous letter from Harvey or if it was from. Uh, Batman, I'm just like, oh, no, it seems like it's from Catwoman, but I just wanted to clarify for that for people who um, were a little well, bit that, Yeah, for, for, for your, for your, uh, for your uh, uh, audience members who are wondering, that is definitely from Catwoman, yes. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. All right. All right. Uh, what are your thoughts on the other Batman movies after yours? Um, I like things about all of them. Um, you know, there, there, there are uh, parts that I think are great and there are things that I think like, oh, that's wrong. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> right. Um, you know, but I mean, it's, it's, the, it's to me, it's, it, it's great fun seeing all these variations on a character. You know, I always, I always talk about people want to say what's canon, what's not canon is, you know, is are Batman and Batman Returns the same universe as Batman Forever? Is Batman Forever in the same universe as Batman and Robin? And you know what is what is the continuity here? And what is the you know et cetera et cetera? And to, to me, it's like you know, come on, it's jazz. You know, you've got uh, all these 
different people that are playing their own version of a standard right and they're bringing their own thing to it you know they they're they're you know somebody will come in and, and do a song that you know really well except they'll do it with a different rhythm or they'll do it with a different set of instruments or they'll do it at a different tempo and it's like holy cow you know here's somebody who listened to that song that you've heard a million times and they heard something you never heard before mm-hmm. And to me, you know, that's that's the fun of Batman. You know, Batman has now been around long enough that Batman's the equivalent. It's Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's just sort of a he's, he's sort of a famous pop cultural character, and so you're going to get all these interpretations of the character by all these different people who who have grown up with him and who feel like they know him and who feel like they have a proprietary interest in him. And that's, you know, to me, that's great. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Yeah, I agree. We do have, uh, I guess, one last question that came to mind. Although some, some of these new Batman versions are really dumb. But All right. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. That'll Moving be on. the soundbite that goes on the TikTok. And or, uh, <laughs> we'll cut that one together. Yeah, no problem. There you go. <laughs> that's how we do business. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, a lot of our fans have been wondering, and you might not be able to uh, give us, you know, a clear answer on it, uh, but uh, we're wondering if we're ever going to get a continuation of the comic of Batman 89. Huh, hadn't occurred to me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe something to consider. Uh, but, yeah. So, uh, Sam, Is Mantis going to show, show up <laughs> at some point in the comic? <laughs> oh man, I, I so wish. I so that wish. Would, you know, Mantis, we were, we were, Dennis, Dennis Callender and I were originally talking about incorporating Mantis into the Milestone universe. I watched it when it was universe. coming on the air, man, yeah. when I was yeah. a kid. Yeah, yeah. first and, air, first uh, run. I, 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 I so wish we could get a, uh, I so wish we could get a new life for Mantis. Yeah, that'd be uh, cool. Oh man. But you know, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the truth. I do not even know who owns the rights to Mantis right now. Oh my Uh, God! Was it on Fox or something? Well, it's either Universal was the was the production entity. Uh, The show was on Fox. uh, Mm, Yeah, right. I don't know. I don't know who. I don't know who controls the rights. To be truthful, they got. I I don't know where to. I don't know where to go to. uh, You know. You know, hold hold up my little cup and say, "Please, sir." (laughs) (laughs) Okay. See, production company Universal Television, so I think it would fall under NBC Comcast, but I don't know. We'll see. Whoever's listening, if you happen to work at Comcast in the legal department specifically, let us know. That's right. If, if you have, if you're watching this, if you're watching this podcast and you have the rights to Mantis, <laughs> yes, please, please give us a call. <laughs> yes, we're he's serious. He's we're serious over here. Yes, we want to do a Batman Mantis crossover where they fight Gorilla Boss. <laughs> I want to see your Matt Reeves sequel with Gorilla Boss. <laughs> there you go. There you know, you go. Yes. I think that would be incredible. Yeah. We want, so, we want, the, we want the dark, gritty, realistic Batman with Gorilla Boss. <laughs> you know, yes. you joke, but I think it could be done. Honestly, <laughs> I think there's some way to make that happen. <laughs> Seriously, it's it's like war, war for the planet of the Batman. I mean, yeah. if you're going to get a director to do it, it should be the guy he's, from Planet of the Apes. He's the guy. He's the guy. Andy Circus yeah. as Andy Circus as Gorilla Boss. That's true. See, he I'm can telling do you, more than happen. one role. You know, he can be Alfred and Gorilla Boss. That's right. 
or Alfred becomes Gorilla Boss, and that's what makes it more of the conflict. <laughs> Hire this guy. <laughs> I've been saying that for years. This is all a big ploy to get Ben at Warner Brothers. This whole podcast. I now have Sam Ham's endorsement. This is amazing. There you <laughs> so, go. Uh, but uh, this has been an honor and a pleasure to have you on this podcast. We have been, you know, fans of yours ever since we first covered this and really honoring that the scripts that you wrote um, had so much to them that we did not get to see. It is, you know, because partially, you know, partially because of you that we got this movie that made us Batman fans, but it's also because of you and the scripts and the quality of your writing and your love for Batman that has given us this podcast. So thank you. For all of that yes thank you well you guys you guys are, are too stinking kind thank you so much man i tell you it has been a uh, complete pleasure talking with you i mean uh if, if 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 you can't tell i've been having a good time i've been having a good time okay good <laughs> <laughs> so uh and with that that is superhero stuff you should know yeah it's and it's it's been a treat and you guys should there's going to be more every week there's more stuff you should know there's never, <laughs> there's never an end to the stuff you should know come back every week see these guys thank you <laughs> you bet big thanks to our research assistant dan for gathering the visuals for the youtube experience as usual and uh we have a few fan comments on our she-hulk episode yes mm. i'm pulling the fan comments from the she-hulk episode just to get you guys back so <laughs> to that episode <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm dude. I'm surprised the comments weren't like an insane dumpster fire. Like they've been yeah. decent. I thought the comments are going to be terrible. On I thought they were. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was just like, all right. Like even the ones that are negative towards the show, they're towards the show. They're not towards our show. So I'm like, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, let's go into a few of the comments here. Thomas Navin said supposedly the Bill Bixby scenes of the She-Hulk pilot were shot, but that was about it before they shut down. Thomas would love to I, hear I've, more about that. That's interesting. Yeah, I saw this comment. I was like, it makes sense. And I was saying in the episode too, I was like, they probably filmed like exteriors or just boring shots. You know, they didn't. Yeah, it's just nothing yeah. there. Yeah, really. No offense uh, to Bill Bixby, but you know, we were there for yeah, She-Hulk. But I mean, he's he's not the star of the show either. So like, yeah. it, you can't really yeah. do much with just those. It'd just be like scenes that you put on the DVD or Blu-ray extras. Right. So uh, let's see, we got Thomas. We've also got Platinum Pagoda. Uh, saying, don't always get to listen right after you post, but I definitely jump to give a like and a view. Thank you for that Thank platinum. You. Usually I binge your channel during road trips on weekends. Great travel company. Ever seen any of the luchadors in Mexico that shamelessly rip off comic heroes? Hilarious stuff. Uh, I haven't personally gone to Mexico to see them, but uh, I know that they exist. I have not uh, had a deep dive into it. I knew that they had luchadors and had their own characters but i didn't know that there was a lot of ripoffs going on so that's that's interesting i did go to mexico actually a couple times when i was a kid but man i would have loved seeing luchador shit but we just didn't do that it does kind of make sense you know because it's like you got the mask you got the cape like at some point somebody's going to be like hey why don't i just do it off of this character you know the dna between the shared dna between pro wrestling and superhero shit is staggering you go guys in yeah. costumes fighting each other yeah. there's stories you know it's there's quite a lot going on there mm -hmm. for sure for sure uh last one comes from alex of the what mean podcast i brought this up in our patreon but i thought i would honor this comment in the main show as well 
Uh, I love the death of the Incredible Hulk as a kid. The transformation scenes were so captivating. I even would growl like Lou Ferrigno at my sister as a kid in our old home movies. Uh, there was a part with a force field of Hulk that I'd recreate with our sprinkler. Uh, that's pretty awesome. From my that's memory, cool. the Thor and Daredevil movies were fun as well. Saw those as an adult. The Daredevil one, I remember being the stronger one. Uh, they turned Thor into a jock-type personality-wise and even had a Donald Blake. They only called Kingpin Fisk, though. He had some ridiculous sunglasses, looked more like a used car salesman. <laughs> Can't you see, see yourself these, in this car? <laughs> yes. I, I, I'm sorry, everybody and Alex. I have not seen this. Uh, I haven't, I, I haven't I, seen it I want to see it. You haven't seen it either, yes. But thank you for the comment. It sounds cool. I'm yeah. sure I would have been into it as well if I had seen it, If yeah. I, especially as a kid, you know. So Alex was yeah. telling me that they're available on Tubi for free. So Got to get that Tubi. I know where I'm going after we're done here. So thank you, Alex. For <laughs> yes, this. thank you. See those insane traps from oh, Ferrigno. Ah, uh, it's insane. <laughs> There's, uh, you know, I know that we're now in the tradition of CG Hulk, you know, ever since the movies. But man, like, uh, you got to give that guy props. Oh, man. You ever, seen, um, you ever seen a uh, pumping iron? I've seen, I've seen the uh, highlights of it with <laughs> Arnold talking about it's like coming. <laughs> so, yes, that's the most. That popular. shit's incredible. You see, uh, look, quick tangent here, but it's a documentary that follows Arnold and in the his, his bodybuilding career. In the documentary, he says I'm going to do movies now. You know what I mean? So it's like <laughs> just before he starts doing his movie career, and you see like a really young Schwarzenegger. And Ferrigno kind of, and they're oh, like man. rivals. And it, dude, it's a great documentary. And it's like, God, mid, late 70s. It's, it is well worth seeing because it's got some funny ass shit like the coming stuff. But also just to see, like, you know, Schwarzenegger would trick other bodybuilders into doing like wrong techniques sometimes just so he can come out on top. <laughs> and he was just kind of a sh little yeah. shit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's worth it. Ferrigno, it's yeah, it's it's kind of Schwarzenegger versus Ferrigno in some ways. Hulk versus Mister Freeze. I gotta check that yeah, out. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, it's a good little documentary. I'll check it out. Uh, but thanks, guys, for your comments on the She Hulk episode. And uh, I guess that's it for the comments. Over to the fan shoutouts. Thank you for those comments, everybody. And uh, we want to thank some of our newer people here. Well, thank you to everybody on the list, but mm -hmm. to uh, also just to thank. Uh, some people orally is um, Chris R, Chris M, Braxton W, Darren F, Billy L, Yusuf A, Kevin R, Derek O, and Mark M. Thank you guys for joining the Patreon and our other supporters as well. Thank you guys as always. And then also please join the Shasta Army. That's at patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. And the Shasta Army is our $1 tier that gets you that their shout out and to be up on the board and that their visual aid. Then we have the $5 tier that gets you the a whole other show. This show is every Monday. The $5 tier on our Patreon is going to get you the shout out plus uh, a whole other show. So mm -hmm. we reference it quite a lot, <laughs> not not by accident um, <laughs> in, in, in this show. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, it's a whole other show. More info, more knowledge, more tutelage. And uh, the $10 tier gets you the $1 and $5 tier benefits, plus the monthly meetup, which we meet up monthly to have a discussion at hand and to kind of shoot the shit with fans. 
basically in a zoom like call environment type of mm -hmm. deal. Uh, our merch is being slowly taken off by uh, Redbubble <laughs> and uh, my Ben man looked too much like Batman. So How dare they? Compliment. <laughs> but... How dare they? That looks nothing like Flighter Mouse. Uh, right. So, <laughs> dear Flighter Mouse. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so, so far, some of our stuff's been struck down lately, if you can believe it or not. You can only get the Indeed Wizard. Oh, I guess, and also Zacula now that his hair is brown. His hair's brown yeah. now, so he doesn't look like yeah. So <laughs> when I when I got when we got the email this week, I was just like, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, yeah, yeah. it's a, only a matter of time. I literally have the bat symbol on my chest. On <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't. Good thing we don't have to give him any money because <laughs> this, this shit never sold. But my hair has, ever, is are in two tufts in the back for the ears. Yeah, the ever dwindling <laughs> supply of merch here. Uh, but anyway, yeah, get your um, Indeed Wizard and Zacula mugs, search shower curtains at all of these sites, uh, superheroespod.dribble.com and superheroestuffpod.threadless.com. Artwork by <laughs> Stefan Santa Cruz. Uh, and then please send us some audio at superhousepodcast at gmail.com. Your phone has a voice recorder already on it. You click the, you record something, click share, and then put on our email and there it is. Uh, and then uh, I am Thunderwolf Drew on Instagram and Twitter. Thunderwolf lives on YouTube. Thunderwolfdrew.com has my whole portfolio in one place except for AmanoRecon.com. A-M-A-N-O-R-E-C-O-N.com. It's an R-rated Power Rangers meets uh, Stranger Things meets X-Files type of original show, but that's my elevator pitch. Mm. Um, Sam Ham, call me please. Uh, yes. and, uh, and, uh, basically, uh, yeah, it's R rated. It's a horror sci-fi comedy and we've made the four minute thing. That's like a pitch video. And that is actually playing at some film festivals coming up. So that's going, that's happening. Once it's done with the film festival run, it's going to be on YouTube and all that kind of jazz. And that's going to, and, and more importantly on Indiegogo, which is going to be campaign funding indiegogo.com uh it's going to have the uh our campaign for uh get like an actual pilot 23 minutes so uh and uh also shutter call me please yes w wouldn't shutter want this come on mm -hmm. seriously uh so yeah poster artwork by zachary jackson brown art.com and gaming guidance is my gaming podcast coming out real soon we're almost done recording we're at seven of ten we want to record seven or ten uh patreon episodes to match the ten regular episodes so we got seven in the can and ten regular episodes in the can that's where we're at being totally transparent here it is coming very very soon that's it ben Shout out to Comic Capital on Instagram as well as the Everything Entertainment Club on Clubhouse for your support. You can follow us on social media on Twitter at Superhouse Pod, which is how we met with Sam Ham. Uh, Instagram, Superhero Stuff Pod. TikTok, Superhero Stuff Pod, where we're going to have Ham say that the Batman movies are stupid. Uh, and then we're on Vero <laughs> now at Superhero Stuff Pod. Uh, and uh, also my website is benwanrider.com where you can read my Gotham script, Gotham Vampire, where young Bruce faces off against the Mad Monk, and my spec script for Elementary called The Death of Sherlock Holmes, a modern update on the classic story, The Adventure of the Dying Detective, 
And Curb Your Enthusiasm, Disneyland, the Curb episode they could never make. Larry David goes to Disneyland. Uh, so thanks, Dan, for the visual on this. And my YouTube channel is in the description below where you can check out my project, Doctor Who, the Ronin of Time, an audio drama I write, narrate, and edit. The Eighth Doctor meets Mimoto Musashi in ancient Japan. Uh, my personal Instagram is Ben Juan Ryder. My son's Instagram, my cat Alfie, is at Alfie Pennyworth Cat. And if you have an Alfie yourself or a Peanut or any other cat uh, yourself, then you can get the Whisker Box, the only cat box for the crazy cat lady and gent. We have some sort of promo link for that. And we also have a promo link for the Bark Box. Y'all give your dog exactly what they want with the Bark Box. With our promo link, you can get the first month off free, valued at $35. And you can find those promo links at superherostuffpod.com slash shop i forgot to update the image on this so we still have the ezra miller flash oh we're well we're going but... to get it <laughs> i swear once we finish recording it's like whoop, out the window go, you know i gotta go right onto that uh but uh you I can put get that your in own... our to-do list <laughs> we, 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 we need to right do that <laughs> yeah. but uh yes uh you can also get a keaton funko uh for yourself as well as the uh the batman history of the uh, dark knight the definitive history of the dark knight by Andrew Farrago and Gina McIntyre, which covers part of the history of Batman 89, as well as The Boy Who Loved Batman, by one of our special guests, Michael Yuzan. You can get all that type of stuff at our shop, superherostuffpod.com slash shop. Over to Andrew. Oh, man. Hey, you know, we want you to do us a favor. I'm actually going to do the Sam Ham quotation from his draft. Tell your friends. Tell all your friends.